Acts 4, I want to begin reading at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But... A man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, thank you for reminding us of your faithfulness this morning. And Father, just as you are faithful, you call us to be faithful also. Father, you have given us this text as a warning. So please, Father, give us ears to hear it. Help us to take this seriously and not just write it off as something that was serious then, Father. Help us to recognize your word is alive and active and speaking to us today. Incline our hearts toward it, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I am very grateful whenever I have something that I need to assemble and there are pictures in the instructions. And I've often found that those pictures include the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. For example, upon the screen you'll see on the left side is the wrong way to bend. Don't bend at the waist. You'll hurt yourself. The right way is to call your son and have him come and pick it up and move it. 
you bend with your knees. That's the right way. Bend with your knees. Back straight. Protect yourself. Pictures like that are extremely helpful to see the way it is to be done and the way it's not to be done. God has given us a picture of giving in the scripture. The passage that I just finished reading contains a tale, a picture of two givers. Two people, a man named Barnabas and a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Both had committed to give, but both had very different outcomes. Now I recognize that this passage is not exactly easy reading. When we stop and consider it, it's very disturbing quite frankly because the judgment that occurs upon Ananias and Sapphira is quick and severe. The passage is clear. They did not suffer God's judgment through death because of the amount they gave. It wasn't that they didn't give enough. The problem was this. They had lied to God. Somewhere in the spirit of this church, as people were making commitments to give, for whatever reason, they had lied to the spirit. They had said, we will do this, and then when it came time to follow through, they didn't. Now this passage is a snapshot. It's not a moving picture. And this is what I mean by that. I often hear a lot of pastors and a lot of churches say, we want to get back to the book of Acts. We want to be like the early church in Acts. And when I read this, I'm thinking, I'm not so sure. Because if this were the ongoing practice that happened in the churches, we would have undertakers collecting the offering. It would change the offertory quite a bit. There are no other instances of something like this happening in Acts or the early church. This seems to be a one-time event where God acts in a very quick way. To demonstrate the seriousness of being up front with him and following through in the area of giving. This is a warning story. It's given to warn us. Not to presume upon the grace of God, but to take this very seriously. And some argue, well, this passage is unfair. Ananias and Sapphira simply did not have a chance to repent. But when they were confronted, there is no instance in this where they seem to try to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we'll change. It seems that their heart was set and they were going to continue the deception as long as they could. I want you to understand the context in which this happens. Because understanding that helps us to see how Satan works. This passage begins with the description of the church. Periodically throughout the book of Acts, it gives this snapshot of what the church was like. And those are the things that we should desire to imitate, to say, this is what we want the church to be like. There are four characteristics that are emphasized in this passage about the church. The first is in verse 32. Notice that the church was unified in mind and soul. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. One heart they valued, they loved the same things. They loved the Lord Jesus and the gospel permeated their thinking. When it says they were of one soul, that deals with their psyche, their attitude. And their attitude apparently was one of love that was shared among one another. There was a unity in this congregation. And when a church is unified in what it values and its love for one another, that is a church that makes Satan tremble. 
That is a church that will be effective for the sake of the kingdom. That is a church that will be like a light illuminating the darkness of the world around us. And that is why Satan works to keep churches divided in what they value and divided in the affection and the love and the gospel focus they have. If Satan can keep a church disunified, he has won that victory. That's why you see Satan fighting in this passage to break up the unity of that church. And this unity spilled over into their stuff. Second characteristic. They shared their possessions. Look at the end of verse 32. They had everything in common. Look down to verses 34 and 35. It shows the consequence of this. There wasn't a needy person among them. As many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them. They brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the feet of the apostles. Now often people accuse this passage of teaching communism. It's not what this passage teaches. This passage teaches that the members still had private property. And they could do with that property, they could do with those possessions what they chose to do. There was no command, no compulsion, no, if you're going to be a part of this church, you have to do this. Every member was free to do with what they owned according to what God laid upon their heart. Now the church then as in now was made up of a lot of people from very different socioeconomic backgrounds. The church at this time had wealthy people just like the church today. There was Lydia, a businesswoman, a seller of purple that apparently was a, a woman of some means. There were people that supported and gave over an abundance of, of out of what they had to support the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. On the other extreme, there were folks that didn't have anything. They were like Peter and John going into the temple where the beggar said, give me some money. And Peter and John said, we don't have any silver or gold. See, the point is not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. That's what he points out. He says they laid these things. They laid the proceeds as they're selling land. They're selling property. They lay it at the apostles' feet. Now that's a way of saying they were giving it to the church to be used to meet needs and to minister. For us, that's giving to our regular budget. The way things are structured is that we have an operating budget that's a guideline for how the money will be used. It's a guideline. It may need to be changed throughout the year, but it's a guide. It says, as money's given, this is where it will go, how it will be spent and allocated. And then we have special offerings, like coming up at Christmas, the, the Lottie Moon offering for international missions. It is important that we give to special offerings, and Trinity has been very generous. However, it is even more important that we practice faithful giving to the regular budget. You say, well, the special offerings, they go to specific needs. You may not be aware of this, but our budget, how we spend the money, the guide we have, yes, it covers mundane things like the light bill, water bill. It's always good to come into church and have light, all right? Yes, it covers that, but did you know our budget also includes monies that are given to the cooperative program? The cooperative program is where Southern Baptist churches work together. And by pulling our resources, we are able to support missionaries both overseas and at home. We're able to support theological education for the training of pastors. 
by giving and pulling our resources. We are able to, to meet needs and go out through disaster relief. We're able to do that through faithful weekly giving. Not only do we give to the cooperative program, we work with other Southern Baptist churches in the area through the Holston Baptist Association that is supported through our budget, which is supported by our regular weekly giving. We work together with churches in Washington County, Carter County, Greene County, parts of Sullivan County to spread the gospel here in Northeast Tennessee. Did you know a portion of our budget goes to what we call our Samaritan Fund? Every week there are people that contact the church needing help with food, shelter. Through our regular weekly giving, we are able to meet, help meet those needs to not only minister the gospel in word, but in action. So when you give weekly, regularly, faithfully, planning to give, that enables those things to happen on a regular, weekly basis. Just as they laid their, their possessions, what they had gotten from selling their land at the feet of the apostles, so we too each week give to the church. And by giving, we're able to do those things. Now, look at the result. The church is unified. The church is giving. And notice what happens. The witness of the church is increasing. Look at verse 33. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the church is of one mind, one soul, and as the church is giving, guess what? The ministry is expanding. The gospel is spreading. It is a church that is focused and the Holy Spirit is working. So that as they are unified, there is a power that is at work. And then you see this happening. The fourth characteristic, verse 33, great grace was upon them all. That's a way of saying God was smiling upon them. His favor rested upon them. So my question was this. How did they know God's favor was smiling upon them? Just a, a feeling, the warm fuzzies? Or was it something more tangible? That they knew that God's favor was smiling upon them because of the spirit of generosity and joy that was within the church. Now understand that this description of the church given to us by Luke is something that would have appealed to the first readers. In the Greco-Roman world, this idea of friendship and relationship was held up where everything was held loosely and friends met the needs of one another. The philosopher Aristotle described a friend where there is one soul dwelling in two bodies. The Greco-Roman world longed for a people, a community just like is described here. So there is no doubt that as the readers read this and as the word went out they were like, I want to be a part of that. And the same is true today. People hunger for community. That is why Satan works double time to stop the church from being unified, from being generous. Because notice how Satan attacks this congregation in this passage. He attacks it not from outward persecution, but from inward greed, specifically through giving. You see, Satan's plans haven't changed. If he can stop us from being unified... And showing love and experiencing joy. And he'll do it through giving. He will do that. That's why this passage gives us two examples of givers. First is Barnabas. Notice that really wasn't his name. Joseph is his name. It's as if the apostles called him Barnabas as a nickname. But what a nickname. Son of encouragement. I get the feeling I would have liked to have hung out with Barnabas. 
He's that type of guy that's like, man, I'm glad you're here. And notice that Barnabas lives this out. He's not just around patting people on the back. He puts it into action. This son of encouragement who's a Levite of Cyprus sells a field. He brings the money and he gives it. He lays it at the apostles' feet. There's a sense of joy and a sense of saying, if I can encourage others through what I give, then Lord, it's yours. That's the first picture of giving. That's what we want. That's what God desires. Notice the point is not that he gave it all, but that he's doing it in encouragement. Out of God moving in his heart. But notice how verse 1 of chapter 5 begins. But. Now here's the contrast. Ananias and Sapphira have the complete opposite attitude. Now remember, nobody commanded them to sell everything. Look down to verse 4. He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why have you contrived this deed in your heart? Nobody was forcing Ananias and Sapphira to do what they did. But for some reason, for something, something happened in their heart. Verse 3, when Peter confronted Ananias, he says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now remember, it wasn't the amount they gave as much as they lied to God. Okay, and this is this example to follow through, follow through on commitment. Something happened in the heart of Ananias. Since Satan is the father of lies, I believe that Satan fed lies to Ananias and his wife in order to keep them from giving. Because Satan knows the possibilities of what can happen when God's people begin to give. Ron Sider is a, a believer who has written, in fact, he spent his whole life encouraging believers to live out the faith through generous and joyous giving. He was reviewing a book entitled Passing the Plate, Why American Christians Don't Give. Sider, in writing his review of this book, revealed some research that he had done. He writes that if just committed Christians... Now, a committed Christian, as he defines it, is one who attends church at least a few times a month. He says, if only those committed Christians would tithe, there would be an extra $46 billion available for kingdom work. That's in the United States alone. $46 billion. Sider says, consider some of the things that could be done with $46 billion. He said there could be 150,000 new missionaries sent. 150,000 new missionaries. He said within that money you could still develop 50,000 additional theological students in the developing world. There could be $5 million more for micro loans to poor entrepreneurs. He said out of that money, out of $46 billion, the food, clothing, and shelter for all 6.5 million refugees in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East could be met. For all that money, the global campaign to prevent and treat malaria could be finished. And he said with that money, there could be the resources to sponsor 20 million needy children worldwide if committed believers simply tithed every week. He concludes by stating, reasonably generous financial giving of ordinary American Christians would generate staggering amounts of money that could literally change the world. That's why Satan doesn't want you to give. 
He doesn't want you to experience joy, and he does not want the gospel spread. He wants to see people suffer. He wants to see people remain in the darkness. So to that end, he lies to you and he lies to me, just like he lied to Ananias and Sapphira. Now I want you to be aware of what I think are two primary lies. We are not told how Satan lied to Ananias and Sapphira. So I'm giving you my ideas I think the first thing Satan told him is this. you got too much going on now to give to that. He wants you to focus on now rather than eternity. Satan wants you to live for this moment and maybe even for five or ten years down the road without thinking about eternity. He wants you to think only about your security now rather than living forever with God in eternity. Jesus told a parable to illustrate this. You'll see it up on the screens. Someone in the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In other words, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my money. That's good southern vernacular. Okay? Daddy died. Tell him to give me the money. Jesus says, Man... Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them. Now, Jesus quits talking to the man and he looks to the crowd. And I think now Jesus shows why he answered this way. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus narrows in like a a sniper with a scope upon the heart of this man. He says his issue was not justice, it was greed. He says you be careful about that. If you start living thinking of the moment, you're going to equate your value with what you have. And you're going to equate your hope with what you have. So Jesus tells a parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I've got nowhere to store my crops. Fields are overflowing. My barns aren't big enough. Investments are paying off. It's been a great year. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones. There I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Woo! That's what we want, isn't it? Bank account's full. Can sit back, reach retirement, and not worry about anything else. And then God says these words. Full. There's something that ought to make us sit up and take attention. It's when God calls somebody a fool. It's not your soul's required of you. You're going to die. The things you've prepared, whose will they be? You're living for the moment thinking your wealth is tied up in everything you have and you're not even going to enjoy it. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He's saying this man got caught up in living for the moment, being short-sighted. Instead of asking this, how can I take what God has given me and invest it in eternity? How can I invest this in eternity? First lie, he's going to tell you, don't think of eternity. Think of now. Then Satan's going to tell you this. You really can't trust God. You really can't trust Him. You've got money. You're fine. You've got what you need. You can't trust God. Now, our Prove the Tithe Sunday is based upon this passage from Malachi 3.10. 
Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. Satan is trying to tell you God is lying to you. That's exactly what he's saying. He's trying to tell you you cannot trust God. Church, remember this. God cannot lie. God is truth. He never lies. Remember, God's word will never fail. Remember that if God has given His Son for you, what is He going to withhold from you that you would need? So the question comes down, who will you believe? Will you believe Satan who came to steal, kill, and destroy? Or will you be, believe God who gives life and sent His own Son to give you life? And who you believe will either lead to life and joy or it will lead to death and grief. Now, let's, you can't candy coat this passage. Yes, Ananias and Sapphira died physically then. And thank God that he is gracious and that doesn't, is not played out every Sunday in church. But I can tell you this. While we may not be stricken dead physically like Ananias and Sapphira, when we refuse to trust God, and we believe we have to hold on to our stuff. We die spiritually. Our souls shrivel. Greed will destroy us. It will eat us up from the inside out. It will be like a hunter camouflaged that is upon you before we know it. It's interesting because that's really what is behind this, greed. They lied to the Spirit of God because of greed. Greed's the one thing we don't like to address. I think this would be Nathan's testimony also, and it's been mine, that in all the years of pastoral counseling, I've had people call me up, Pastor, I need to talk with you because I'm struggling with lust. Pornography is a problem. I've had people call up, Pastor, I need to talk with you because anger is a problem. Pastor, I lie. I, I need to stop lying. I don't think I've ever had one person in almost 30 years of ministry call me and say, Pastor, I've got a problem with greed. That's like the, the sin we don't ever want to talk about or deal with. Satan wants to destroy us through greed. He wants to destroy the unity of the church through giving or a lack thereof. So that's why God gives us examples to follow. Will we be a Barnabas who follows through? Or will we follow the pattern of Ananias and Sapphira whose duplicity cost them their lives? There are two givers here. Who will we follow? I want to ask you to bow your head with me.